640 Toronto presents Think Tank. Two guests, Toronto's top stories. Now, let's meet the guests. Oh, and we got a lot to get to, so let's meet our guests. They're two of our favorites. He is the former chief of police in the city of Toronto. He is Mark Saunders. How is Mark this morning? Mark is fantastic, Greg. Thank you. Sorry, I you didn't have to go yourself in the third person, but I you're a humble human being, and you just followed my lead there. And Stephanie Smythe is with us, broadcaster and consultant, equally talented, skilled, and dramatically awesome at both. It's great to have you on also. Oh, you're too kind. Nice to be here. <laughs> Thanks very much. Um, all right, so like all three of us have a deep, deep sense of humanity, and uh, hopefully, hopefully, with this uh, Israel-Hamas war, we're getting somewhere. Last night, they agreed to a ceasefire deal that will see captives exchanged. I want to play really quick former Israeli ambassador Michael Oren, who was on News Nation with Chris Cuomo last night. can't begin to express the joy that those families feel and, and, the, and the joy that we feel for them. Um, and but keep in mind, there's probably another 180 uh, hostages still in the hands of Hamas. Uh, and those feeling families are going to be feeling something very different. And there are what can I say? There are dangers. Uh, four or five days of ceasefire. Hamas will use those days to rearm, to equip, to set more booby traps down. You know, if and when the fighting resumes, our troops are going to have to meet those booby traps and some of them will uh, step on them as they have. There's a, most of our losses have been to these booby traps and and mines and IEDs. Okay, so he's hopeful. Steph, we're all hopeful. We want probably a lower a lower mm-hmm. temperature in the city, in the country, in our society. But but we also know this is far from over. Both sides uh, have dug in. They both want things. They both are using their leverage. Leverage. Israel has the military might. Hamas has Hamas has lives that are valued by the Israelis. But but I hope, and I don't know if you have the same amount of hope. I'm hopeful this is going somewhere. Do you have that hope? Well, I, when I heard this, yeah, you hear hopefulness. You, you you hope for the very best, obviously. But you know, the deepest, darkest fear here is how do you really trust anything with Hamas, right? So you hope that this is the start of of getting the hostages back. But as as the, the guest was saying in Cuomo's show, this is just another chance to regroup and, and potentially, right? So what what are they going to face after this? And it must be just agonizing for the families who won't be getting their loved ones back. Yeah, a couple of those. Uh, people were interviewed, somebody with his son who he's not expecting to get back because he's in his 30s. There was a brother saying, I know my brother won't be in the first wave. And Mark, like, again, we all we all want this. We want peace and calm. We're going to have different debates about politics and policy, etc. But we want things to sort of elevate to a different level. And I want to see those people get those families back. And I want innocent Palestinians to somehow rebuild or be able to live their lives. We want we're asking a lot of the <laughs> given this is a 75 year conflict, aren't we? No, we absolutely are. But make no mistake about this, though. The the objective here is to eliminate a, a terrorist organization, Hamas. It's clearly stated that they will do this over and over and over again. It's great, and it's a great starting point that uh, some of the hostages are going to be uh, released over the next couple of days with a lot of conditions put in place. And, and hopefully it gives an opportunity for a quick exhale and, and, and maybe for a, a decent change in direction. But I, I find it you know, my concern is the fact that there will be booby traps set. They've had an opportunity to see where the IDF has gotten to. Uh, they've made it into those tunnels underneath the hospital, which uh, people are saying did not exist. They do exist. And so they may have called this now because for, you know, uh, Hamas tactically, they needed to do it. But, um, you know, to see these hostages being released, hopefully they're going to be in good shape. 
and and hopefully there'll be some intel gathered and, and we can hopefully uh, move things uh, along quicker to hopefully make sure Hamas uh, does not have another day to uh, to terrorize uh, Israel. And before before we move along, Mark, the, it was a 444 day hostage crisis. We all were little kids when the Iranian hostage crisis took place. It was, at, you know, um, sim- symbolized in the movie Argo that won uh, the Oscar for best picture. But but those were those were adults and those were people in the 30s or 40s. So, Mark, I think about, you know, the 80 year olds that have been kidnapped by this group. I think of the babies. There, there apparently was a woman who gave birth to a baby while uh, a hostage. So there's an additional hostage because there's this new infant. Like, again, it rips your heart and soul out to think about it. But we're hoping for better things. No, absolutely. And I let's not forget the starting point of this on October 7th, the yeah. fact that Hamas went over there, killed, tortured, brutalized, and then drove these hostages, you know, underneath hospitals and, and schools and mosques. Um, so it, it, let's let's hope that uh, that things turn for the better. All right. Let me move it to uh, to Steph on this uh, fall federal economic statement from the liberals and finance minister, Christian Freeland. Um, this feels for the liberals, Steph, you, you watch polls go up and down, but it feels like a damned if they do, damned if they don't moment. The country's in tons of debt. People are in debt. So, so I'm not sure it's great for the nation to go into further debt to help the people. So I think the liberals were kind of rock and hard place, but I'd also make the case they walked themselves into that rock, rock and hard place from some of the spending. What have you made of the reaction right. to what the liberals attempted yesterday to sell to the public? Well, you know, it's it's a wide ranging document. It's obviously loaded with, you know, so many problems when it comes to the deficit and the debt and uh, how the government themselves is facing, you know, the, the cost of servicing this debt is as much as some of the major programs in this mm-hmm. country. They're facing that just as consumers are. So, you know what, if there's any, to me, the biggest takeaway from this is, you know, we many are going to see their mortgages coming up for renewal. So this, if there's one bright light here, it outlines what the banks have to do when it comes to renegotiating rates with people. Again, the government facing the same thing. Uh, you know, it's it's the deficit staying the same at $40 billion next two years. It's it's going to be increasing uh, before going down. Uh, you know, it's just debt servicing costs that are so worrisome and they're banking on the hopeful things for the economy. Let's hope that they're right when, it, you know, two years down the road, that things turn around. Yeah, Mark, it, it is. Um, look, it's a party that's in free fall, at least in the polls. And, and they're not it's not universal to them. We've seen it provincially recently with Kathleen Wynne. I would make the case we saw it with Stephen Harper eight years ago that led to the Trudeau government's majority in the first place. So it's a little bit of a wager that the economy improves. But it's as I think Steph put it well, it's kind of chicken and egg. They're not putting a lot into the economy to spur its improvement. Yeah, well, you know, the short straight line for me is is answering the question, what's in it for me now? Yeah. And so making the announcement now to say things aren't going to be starting, certain things aren't starting until 2025. Uh, listen, Toronto is a mess right now, and we still don't even know the funds that we are going to be getting out of this deal. Right now, people are having a hard time. As you stated before, whether it's paying the mortgage, getting food on the table, uh, you name it. It is tough right now. And, and, and these aren't people making things up. It is their reality. And people are genuinely scared right now at what tomorrow is going to bring financially. So, Mark, let's stick it here with you. And I want to bring this uh, locally to uh, Toronto Mayor Olivia Chow's reaction. She wasn't thrilled with the announcement. She's trying to navigate and negotiate deals with the federal government and, of course, the province. We should hear about the province before the end of the month. We've got nine days left in the month. Here's what Mayor Chow said yesterday. I am encouraged that there is a blueprint similar to the city. The city is ready. We have a blueprint. We're ready to build. We have an ambitious plan. It's not ambitious enough. 
the billion dollars that are being offered across the country doesn't start till 2025. For Toronto, it'll be about 700 units. There's no discussion or mention about refugees, which is very disappointing. So there's a plan there. It's promising, but people need mm. more faster. So Mark Saunders, I get the ask for housing help in the city. Um, someone inside the city told me the ratio of migrants arriving here versus domestic homeless uh, population is closer to 70-30 now in favor of the migrants. It was closer to half in the summer. So uh, again, I know, we all know, Olivia Chow's got a big heart. Of course she does, but it's hard to take some of this you know, practically and seriously, the city doesn't seem to have a plan or even acknowledge that they need to stop the growing tide of, of people seeking asylum. They have nowhere to go when they arrive here. It's the most unfair thing to them to leave them sleeping on the street, isn't it? Yeah, I think this is where the levels of government aren't necessarily communicating properly and coordinatedly, and, and, and we're having this situation. Um, it was a first for me this summer when I, I saw those 150 people that had been sleeping out on the street. Uh, who were brought here uh, for a couple of weeks. And, you know, thank goodness the church has stepped in and, 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 and good people with big hearts stepped in. Uh, winter is coming, and, and mm-hmm. we're going to see some we're, we're going to see some not good conclusions. It, it is there. And so what happens with that is, is going to be, how do you point your resources to the situation now before it's too late? Um, so where the money's being spent on other things, uh, human life, I think, is a priority. But the federal government really needs to step up a little bit more because they're responsible. And I know in certain other jurisdictions, this is the same problem that's happening and they're screaming the same uh, issues and concerns. So there has to be something that needs to be done and it should be done sooner than later because we know it's going to happen. And Steph, we can't even just isolate a Toronto radio station. We all live in the city, but this is every municipality. It feels like not just in Ontario, but across our country, tent communities, people struggling on the street. And Mark's right. The weather changes. And I've made the point many times. We're not Vancouver, San Francisco, Los Angeles. You stay outside in Toronto in January and February you're risking life and limb, plain and simple. Right. And London, Ontario, they're actually setting up, you know, they've got the tents in the parks and they're setting up porta potties. I mean, this is an incredibly huge problem, as you're saying, across the country. Thing is, we've seen some emergency funding for housing from the feds, 15 billion more now, you know, for loans and, and, and getting housing built. The province can still provide more. But what's coming down to me, to what I'm seeing is, what about what's happening Uh, raising revenue measures right here in the city of Toronto. How soon are we going to see some kind of tax to have to deal with this? That's what I'm waiting for. That's a really good question. Mark, was that brought up much during the campaign, the idea of that? I know people in the federal government were asking the question, what's the city doing to to cut revenue? What are they doing, in essence, to look under the couch cushions? And there was a lot of criticism that the city wasn't doing it with John Tory, and they still haven't been doing it now. But was was what Steph brought up, the idea of that brought up during the campaign much? I don't remember it. No, the line during the campaign was, what is the problem? Is it revenue or is it spending? Mm-hmm. And uh, I was spending. I, I thought that there are ways in which we could take a serious look at uh, what we're spending our money on and how we're prioritizing and then dealing with those issues right away. Uh, but again, you know what? Uh, Olivia Chow is now the mayor. She's in that seat, and, and uh, she's got to make those decisions in real time. And um, 
and we'll see what uh, what the next few months bring because it, it has I mean, the rubbers meeting the road with a couple of issues and uh, there are plans in place. So we'll see it. I'll come back to the budget. we got Stephanie Smythe with us, Mark Saunders with us. This is Think Tank on 640 Toronto. We run it every morning between 730 and 8 o'clock. Steph, the, this got some play. Uh, the Conservatives decided it, it, they voted against a bill that would uh, send money to Ukraine. Now, the Liberals did slide a carbon tax addendum into the bill, but it really didn't mean that much. I actually see both sides of this. I get the Liberals saying, come on, are you serious? And I get the Conservatives saying, why is there anything about about carbon usage in a bill that's about funding Ukraine? So uh, politics isn't always clean, but we're all we're all kind of cynical about the process. And I want to ask the question, our economy is really struggling right now. So I think we understand there's some frustration and tons of money that could help Canadians going to a conflict. It is a super important one in Eastern Europe. It's Russia. It's Vladimir Putin. Say no more. I want to know what you think about the about the stature right now of Canada funding Ukraine when we're just we feel like we're coming at a part of the seams economically. Well, Canada has got to be part of the world stage, period. So in what we do comparatively is minuscule. So, you know, in terms of staying involved in any kind of conflict, any way in terms of aiding uh, with our soldiers, maybe training Ukraine conscripts, whatever it takes, Canada has to take part and it has to be part of our budgetary process. And, you know, when you're, yeah, it's tough to reconcile when you're talking about housing and conflicts overseas, but, you know, it is part of being part of, of, of a world player and we've got to step up. Um, our military uh, budget is getting cut as well, Mark. Like it's 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 dramatic times right now. And Steph's right on the money. It's a massive world conflict. It has tremendous geopolitical implications. But I know that, you know, at a kitchen table level, people see Canada's aid for Ukraine is going to surpass eight hundred million dollars this year. It was over a billion last year. And uh, and people have their own feelings about it, don't they? Yeah, I, I, I don't disagree with that, Greg, but we also have to understand that the, the world is getting smaller every day due to technology and all kinds of things. But this is an investment for Canada. We are a shrinking country because we're old. Our workforce is, is getting smaller mm-hmm. and, and our retirees is getting larger. Like 65 and older is over a thousand people a day get that way. So if we're not investing in our future Canadians, then the state of health that they come in is not going to be a good starting point. That's number one. But we also are in need of other resources around the world. And if we're not cooperating and helping in times of need, then when we're in times of need, we're stuck. Take the pandemic as an example. We can't manufacture vaccinations. We have to rely on others. And in order to get in the right spot in that lineup, we have to be contributors. So we have to think of the push-pull of what's going on around the world and, and the role in the lane that we're in right now. We are an aging country and we are not going to be able to grow without immigration and so we have to Mm -hmm. meet the the rest of the world in order to uh, to get our our spot at the table all right let's move to uh the ontario school system and we have labor rest instead of unrest um the conservative government for five and a half years in essence there were a couple rolling wildcat strikes prior to the pandemic it looked like we were going into tough times pandemic comes We have tons of of, uh, lockdowns, tons of uh, online learning and tons of learning loss. So I I do wonder, I look at this, Stefan, you've covered this kind of beat for a long, long time. I feel like it's a relief to parents, but there was just no energy. And many teachers are parents, too. There was no energy for any kind of labor dispute. So I think both sides might have swallowed hard on a lot of fronts with these unions and and Stephen Lecce and the education ministry and said, we're not going to do this because we know parents. Parents are going to shout at both sides of this if we go out. 
Right. Um, look, I, I'm, I'm pro teacher, <laughs> but I mean, I've just, I've, you know, when you think I've had it, I can't talk about this anymore. It's like good for them. They've got their deal and the increases they have for the next, okay, three years of labor peace. Um, let's just move on. I mean, post COVID and everything, as you said, absolutely nobody had any appetite for job action. So, you know, the, the, the tentative deal has been reached with the uh, public elementary teachers and the province. So, you know, let's just move on and get our heads down and get kids back to where they need to be post uh, the trauma of, of COVID. Yeah, Mark, we got a hustler. 80,000 educators in the Elementary Teachers Federation of Ontario. And I, I, I agree with Steph. We need every minute uh, in classrooms uh, right now. So the labor piece, it, it looks to me, it looks to most people like a very welcome thing. No, whatever it takes to keep our kids in school, Greg, is so important when it comes to health, mental health, and all of those other factors and attributes that experts are telling us has happened because of all of this chaos. So let's try to keep it stable, but most important, those kids come first. I'm glad you, you're you're like me. You got that kind of same emotion about it, Steph, because the rhetoric drives me mad. And and of course, we'd love to we'd love to easily say, hey, union leaders, get in a room with a ministry and don't come out until you have a deal. And that's that sounds great on paper, but they just drag this out leak here leak there and sometimes they walk us right up to the line and and really stress parents out don't they yeah and it, it's just a, i think we're all we've all got some trauma from this as parents over the years <laughs> right and as, as journalists covering it so yeah for sure um all right let's finish up uh, i did not know this the tv show blue bloods coming to an end next fall after 14 seasons matt mark saunders imagine having one successful cop show tom Selleck was magnum pi and now he's at four hawaiian shirts gone but he's had 14 years on blue blood so we've all had our favorite cop shows in our life dying to ask the former chief of police your favorite tv cop shows as a kid or as an adult what would they be mark well you know as a kid before i was a cop i used to like kill street blues um <laughs> mine was pretty good uh the first uh, couple of, of seasons but i'll tell you the one the wire was a good yeah. show but the problem was it compromised policing techniques it really made the criminal smarter so for that I don't like the wire. Well, how, how did, tell, tell me how it did that, because I watched the first season, and I should have stuck with it. How did it do that? It well, you know, the, the wire was about wiretaps dealing with the drug subculture, and so there are, there are a couple of things. It, it was a bunch of retired Baltimore cops, and when you fast mm. forward with their major crime unit, one of the, the worst criminals in the, in the universe, um, but it was created mm. by them. And so in the process, they just gave up a lot of the intellectual properties mm. that, we, that we use when it, when it came to certain investigations. Thank goodness things have changed and, and the techniques have changed substantially, but it, it caused a gap in a moment with, with some police investigations for sure. And the criminals became a lot smarter with uh, with uh, some of the things that they did. How interesting. All right, uh, Steph, I, I, now my recollection is a nice night of the Brady household when there wasn't a hockey game on was a double bill of Hill Street Blues plus Cagney and Lacey. I, th- <laughs> that, I don't know who was who, but they were great. They no nonsense. No nonsense. Um, yeah. it, uh, what cop shows uh, grabbed you as a younger person or even right now? I, I'm just so fascinated by what Mark said, you know. Yeah. Um, okay, we did we did watch Starsky and Hutch for sure. But, you know, uh, as I've grown up, um, you know, The Wire, we're just on season two. And so I, I see what Mark's talking about. It's just fascinating to hear how much, like, that speaks to what an incredible series it was, I think. But, um, you know what, I've been binging all the UK cop shows, like, you know, um, The Fall, Bodyguard, Broadchurch, Night Manager, you know. I've tried to get into Peaky Blinders. 
not able to do that. I struggled with that too. Luther's yeah, great with Idris Elba. You got to watch Luther. Yeah, yeah. Amazing. Luther's on the list. Luther's on the list. Luther is on the list. Well, again, now I can only ask Mark this, but Mark, I was a massive Miami Vice fan. You know, I, I know I probably kept all these girls from wanting to go out with me on a Friday night by just saying, no, sorry, that's Miami Vice night. But but maybe you and me as Crockett and Tubbs for Halloween next year. I'm just throwing it out there. <laughs> You're smooth enough to be, uh, to be him for sure. Well, I want you to be Sonny and I'll be Rico, but I feel like politically in this day and age, we're, uh, we're crossing lines if we do that. I loved having you guys on this morning. Thanks so much. Thanks a lot. Thanks, Greg. That's awesome. Stephanie Smythe uh, and Mark Saunders joining us on Think Tank.